Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 11, Episode 30. This is Writing Excuses Q&A on Thrillers. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we are answering your questions yet again. So, um, Caleb asks, how do I build tension consistently through my story? As opposed to having little batches of it here and there. Well, one of the things with with tension is um, we, we talk about scene sequel. Um, so the scene is where kind of things are happening. Right. And the sequel is where the co- character is recovering and reacting to those things happening. Uh, one of the ways you can keep the tension up is to shorten the amount of sequel time or to have the the recovery happen while another piece of action is happening, having the, the response. Right. So that's one way you can do it. It, it can lead to... Um, to a, a f- sense of fatigue in the reader. Yep. And in fact, mm-hmm. um, Thomas asks, what are some disadvantages of thriller pacing? Fatigue, I'd say, is a big one. Yeah. Now, another way to build tension consistently is to raise stakes consistently. Um, a book that does this, not a fantastic book, but a decent book is actually the book Battlefield Earth, um, which the movie had serious problems but the the book is loved by a lot of people. And when I read it, what I noticed that uh, L. Ron Hubbard was good at doing was stakes got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until boom, you know, now it's mm-hmm. now we need to save the planet. Yeah. Uh, corollary to that is just to make very clear in the beginning what the final stakes are going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then you don't necessarily have to raise them. Just keep reminding us that that's hanging over our head and that we haven't solved it yet. In our podcast on uh, pacing, we've done several on pacing, but I think it might have been one of the casts where we had James Dashner on. Uh, Brandon, you talked about how you want people in your epic fantasies to yes. stop and put down the book from time to time. Yep. Uh, and if you pace it wrong, people will die in their armchairs having tried to read <laughs> the whole book all at once. So if that's a, a disadvantage um, of thrillers, that fatigue, right? Um what uh, what are the advantages? Why would you write a thriller? Why would you inject it? Well, you want the reader to keep the book in their hand and to keep <laughs> reading it. <laughs> and thrillers are usually really good well, at Well, I mean, that. that's, that's the, what the word means, right? The book is thrilling. We would all love for our books to be thrilling. Mm. And so using these tricks is a way of producing that emotion and getting that adrenaline going. Yeah, the when the adrenaline is flowing, when you are engaged when you are turning the pages because you are so embedded in the story uh, that you can't not turn the pages, when romance is injected, when drama is injected, when humor is injected, it can be far more effective because you're already right there, very in the moment, 
And so putting thriller in as a subgenre is mm-hmm. a way to draw the reader deeper into the story. Yeah, so this is a weird mechanical thing from stage, but one of the one of the way, reasons that thriller and comedy can actually play really well together mm-hmm. in, in farces um, is because when you are tense, uh, it tension often happens in the in the diaphragm, and laughter comes easier. Mm. Conversely, when you laugh, a lot of times that will cause a tension in the diaphragm, which can make uh, the adrenaline kick harder. So that's one thing that you can do sometimes if you want something to be funnier is if you have a little bit of thriller action going in it. That's a that's a reason that it's handy. You know, watch Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. And there's a scene, you know, the very famous adrenaline in the heart scene gets a laugh every time. Um, and that's because tensions are so high that you get that reaction of laughter mm-hmm. when those tensions are finally released. Uh, any other disadvantages to talk about Thomas's uh, question here? And I'll start off by mentioning, um, I have read stories by students where they have ramped up the tension so high that the t- moment they try to have a character moment between two characters falls completely on its face because, you know, the the world is burning and, you know, they're on a ship that's exploding and, you know, Joss Whedon can make that scene hilarious and touching and things like this, but it is dangerous to try and mix the emotions um, if you're not practiced at it or just with the wrong beats. Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult to yeah. get right. Done well, it's, it's yeah. brilliant and, and mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, I think one of the risks that uh, writing thriller stuff presents is when you haven't promised or telegraphed that this book will have anxiety in it mm. and then it induces that, readers can feel betrayed. You know, yeah. that's not what I wanted to feel when I picked when I picked this book up. Yeah. The other on on the level of disappointed expectations is if you are ramping up the tension and ramping up the tension and your payoff is not oh, there. Oh, good point. Really good point. You mm-hmm. know, then you may not want to ramp the tension up that fast yeah. and that hard. You know, I think it's also worth pointing out because you mentioned Joss Whedon that Joss Whedon is working in film, which mm-hmm. is has a very different pace altogether. Yeah. Those moments there, I there's a I think my favorite character moment in that movie is uh, the second Avengers movie is Black Widow and Bruce Banner talking. Right in the middle of the ending fight. Yep. And her convincing him to come back. And it's a touching character moment that's about 30 seconds long. Mm. And I think what aspiring authors try to do is to slow down and really give that moment time. And if you're doing a thriller, you don't have time. You need to get emotions quickly. Let's um, go to Katie's question. Katie asks, how do you keep tension in dialogue? And um, beats, move, movement beats, instead of just having things explode all the time. Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah. Well, that would have been a good one to have <laughs> an entire day to think about. <laughs> mm. um, okay, so there's a couple of things. When you're dealing with pacing and dialogue, the, uh, remember that writing is developed to convey the spoken word. So one of the things that you're looking at is the length of your sentences, 
how long character speaks before another character jumps in, which will give the sense of uh, dialogue moving mm-hmm. back and forth very snappily. And the other thing is that all of the descriptive stuff that you put in around the dialogue, the narration, all of those things represent for the reader pauses where the characters will pause. So if you want to have the sense of dialogue going back and forth very rapidly, you actually get rid of pretty much everything except the dialogue yep. itself. The other thing, and and this this is just writing good dialogue, when a character is asking a question because the character wants to know the answer to the question and because the reader wants to know the answer to the question, that's probably well-motivated. If yeah. the character is asking a question and the reader hasn't thought of the question yet, uh, you're, wow, you're really dragging me forward because this is interesting. If the character is asking a question that is restating the problem and recapping things for the reader, mm-hmm. you've slowed things down. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. It, And it can become Maiden Butler. Right. Or Cabbage Head. You, you know, know, another thing you can do here is we talk about raising the stakes, giving examples. You know, um, a relationship thing. You're at a bar or whatever, and one character's trying to pick up on another. Um, you could raise the stakes on that. Um, you can say, however you you want to go about doing it. This person has failed time and time again. Their friends have convinced them, you know, to go out um, for for a night again. And this is the first time since they've like, you know, gotten over someone or whatnot. You know, you make it really personal. And so this dialogue scene um, can be really tense in a setting that would normally not be nearly as tense. Yeah. One of my very favorite scenes from Dune is a dinner scene early in the book Mm. that is structured like a fight scene. Mm -hmm. There's no actual violence. There's no explosions. And yet every line of dialogue is an attack or a defense or a parry. And it works because like you were just saying, we know what the stakes are and he takes the time, you know, in direct, in contrast to what you were saying, to, to let us know what each sentence means. I'm going to say this, and that means X, and that mm. means that if this person says Y, I'm in trouble, and if they say Z, then they're on my side. And, you know, you, kind of just as a microcosm of everything we've been talking about, played out over a single conversation. Yeah. The, um, this is a weird mechanical trick. Uh-huh. Um, Orson Scott Card does this. He'll write his dialogue, and then he'll go back through and delete every third sentence. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> because he said that when, when people are talking, a lot of times they, they leave stuff out. And, and you know, he doesn't, he doesn't always leave those sentences out, but just as a mechanical exercise to see how much stuff he has that he doesn't need. Another good— Or at least he was doing that 20 years ago. I don't know if he still does. You know, I love to free write conversations because they give a similar— effect Mm -hmm. because I will often get to the end of a scene and go, well, the characters never got to the stupid point I wanted them to talk about. They never revealed this key information, but the conversation felt very natural and it didn't feel like I was shoehorning information into it. You have to, you know, revise a lot to make that work, but when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go to our book of the week, which is Javelin Rain. 
Yep. Uh, I got to read uh, an advanced reader copy of uh, Javelin Rain by Mike Cole. It's uh, a sequel to uh, Gemini Cell, and it stands as a very, very strong example of a thriller as a subgenre. Mm. Uh, the bookshelf genre of Javelin Rain is, I think, uh, urban fantasy. Okay. Um, it's magic and military adventure fiction, and yet the pacing is tense throughout. There's very little, very little letting up, uh, as evidenced by the fact that I read it straight through in a much longer reading session than I wanted to have. Um, if you'd like to have it read to you, you can head out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse and start a trial membership with Audible and pick up Javelin Rain by Mike Cole as your first book. And we don't know who that's read by yet. We do not yet know yeah. who it's been read by, but it's available as of March 29th. And this episode will have aired <laughs> long after that date. Okay, next question. David asks, when don't you use a cliffhanger? When you don't have a good payoff for it. Okay. When I want them to take a break and put the book down. Yeah, okay. also. Those- I mean, the thing to understand is there are different types of cliffhangers. There are the, we open the door and there's something cool, or and there, or, there was an explosion and someone screamed outside. Those are one type of cliffhanger. But there are also the type of cliffhangers of, all right, we've got this thing. Let's go home and see what it does. Yeah. Right? That's a cool cliffhanger of a different style entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully the thing that you stole and you want to find out what it does will do something cool, and that will lead on. Uh, that little hint at the end of your chapter of what we're going to be doing next can be your hook into the next chapter without it having to be an explosion. Yeah. When we talk about scene-sequel format, uh, the cliffhanger between scene and scene is often the strongest one. Um, a cliffhanger between scene and sequel uh, is is a slowing down of the pace. Uh, and if we end sequel with a cliffhanger that is driving into the next scene, that feels kind of weird to me. So I just think about the pacing. Are people processing or are people making things happen? That's interesting because I actually do that sometimes. Well, I think ending— Well, I'm know. not saying they're bad. It's just you, you, you want to think about the pacing— before you put that yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. Here's a more kind of fun one. Um, Michael asks, um, wait, no, it's not Michael. Sorry. Sorry, um, Michael. Yeah, sorry, Michael. Um, it is Ra- Ra- Ravi. Um, when you write a scene from a thriller, do you ever imagine how it would play out in a movie? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's fun. Yeah. Like the, the thriller scenes, the thriller payoff scenes are one of those things. I've talked about how I build my books is I go to the gym and I'm imagining to music the pivotal scenes that are mm-hmm. going to change the story in a dramatic way. And a lot of those are thriller scenes. And so I imagine them like a film. And, yeah. and it's fun to do that, but it also helps because if I'm imagining that and I think, wait, I've seen this movie before, <laughs> then I know I need to change it and make it more innovative. Yeah, the most recent one I can think of that really I was excited about would be the, uh, the chase scene in Steelheart. Um, which I, you know, watched a whole bunch of my favorite chase scenes. I went to the gym. I put on music that inspired chasing and thought, all right, I'm going to write a really cool chase scene. What's it going to look like? And I imagined it beat for beat, came home and wrote out that outline for it. Yeah, Valor and Vanity, the gondola chase, Uh same thing. (laughs) Yep, Mm -hmm. yep. Um, All right, 
several people ask um, questions along the lines of, how much thriller is too much before it changes your genre? One person asked specifically about Regency um, and things like this. Like, how, how much is too much? Well, okay, so there again we're talking about... With Regency, Regency is your set dressing. Yep. Thriller is your elemental genre. So you can totally write a book that is straight-up elemental thriller yep. with Regency set dressing, and it will yeah. be fine. Mm-hmm. The Where you run into questions is, do you want to write something where your main driver is thriller as yep. the elemental genre? Um, and at that point, you know, I think what you're looking at are the essential promises that you're making to the reader – and for me, a lot of times it comes down to what are you excited about? Exactly. I think the fact that you're asking this question, I'm worried that I'm putting too much thriller into my book. Well, maybe it sounds like you want to write a thriller. Go yeah, ahead and add a, as much thriller as you want. Write a really awesome thriller. Uh, it's useful here to come back to, and I've come back to this several times, the the overarching concept of elemental genre, which is the what emotions are you trying to evoke? If you are trying to evoke uh, romance, if you're trying to evoke sense of wonder and it is being overpowered by anxiety, mm-hmm. then you've used too much thriller. That's um, right. But There's if you, too much salt in this. Yeah, if you, but if you want to thrill, if that's the bit that you're having fun writing, by all means, change the, change the flavor of the dish. Yeah, but one thing that you might want to do is that you might want to go back and adjust the opening of the novel yeah, to right. make sure that it's to give clear the right promises. that it's going to be a thriller well, we're gonna, set in the Regency. We're going to end with Michael's actual question. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to oh, say, go by the way, I would love to read the Regency thriller. Yeah. <laughs> Dan wrote one. Well, <laughs> yours was Victorian. It, it was, and it was terrible. Yeah. But it had um, a cool idea. It was a very cool idea. <laughs> so Michael is having a problem. He wants a little bit of advice. What do you do when your the tension in your story has peaked too early how do you es- I escape from the thrill I have inadvertently created? That's what revision is for. <laughs> that is yep. what revision is for, Michael. <laughs> yep. um, if the, you can ask the question, wow, did I love this? If so, you can keep going with that and roll with it. If your question is, wow, I accidentally, I was discovery writing this and I raised the stakes too quickly, you can take those stakes, break them out, and space them out through your story um, to mm-hmm. create a, an more even of a slope and ramping of tension. Um, this is something that you we have to do a lot as writers. Yeah. If, there's, if it's happening too early, then what you have is multiple plot elements that are timed differently. And these plot elements, you know, there's the thriller element and there's the uh, adventure element or the mystery element or whatever. Uh, build a beat chart for those uh, and, and see where the beats are landing. And then, as Brandon was saying, you start breaking these apart and moving the beats forward or backward mm-hmm. so that they line up. Yeah, and one of the things that you can do um, is what you may wind up needing to do is to insert some scenes to push things later. Yeah. Uh, and that might involve creating a subplot that you had not originally planned. So one of the things that I will do is I will go back and look at, and I, I have had to do this, um, I will go back and look at my main character and think about other things that can be going wrong in their lives Um so, you know, like if, I, if I'm dealing with something where I've got a big thriller thing going on, which is usually around some event that's going on, then I'll look at their lives and go, okay, well, what is happening, what is happening with their relationships? 
what questions do they have? Um, mm-hmm. What is their self-identity? How is that being challenged? What is it about the landscape, the milieu that they're in uh, that is is messing with them? And see if I can come up with a subplot that is only tangentially related and this will, it it's usually gives me something that will run nicely in parallel and allow me to adjust the pacing on when I drop my thriller beats. That's excellent advice. Um, so, Michael, you are now out of excuses, but you are not yet out of homework. And Howard has our homework. Yep. Uh, we are uh, about halfway through our year of elemental genre. And so what we want to do is start putting these things together using thriller as, well, in this case, kind of as a pacing element. I talked about a beat chart earlier. Uh, Sit down with your manuscript or with your outline and in the margins, write at each point what the emotion is that you are trying to evoke from the reader. Are you trying to evoke anxiety? Are you trying to evoke uh, joy? Are you trying to evoke laughter? Is it action? Is it wonder? And, and make, make these visible notes underlined and then sit back and look at the manuscript and see where the spaces are, see where things are, are really close together. And, and the conclusion here is you're going to learn something about your manuscript, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it should be exciting and thrilling. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.